Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. All right. Hey, we're in part two. Uh, Go ahead and turn your Bibles. Let's just jump right into 1 Timothy 6, part two of A Blessed Life. Really, it's on my heart. And this time of year is a time that we look at. We're just a bit more aware of generosity because of the season that we're heading into. In fact, this whole fall, uh, we've been looking at opportunities as a church to be a blessing. Um, I think it's important for us to talk about this throughout the year because that is the heartbeat of God. God is a generous God. We're all thankful to be on the receiving end of that. But he also has an expectation for us to walk in generosity. We reflect him. Generosity marks who he is. It should mark our lives. And so, but when you talk about the topic of generosity, sometimes there can be some pushback because it's like, hey, don't talk about my money or here we go kind of thing. And I totally understand that because I know that that's been abused and mistaught and things have happened associated with that. My heart, my hope is to bring the word to you. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. And then you, after the course of the series, just you see what God would have you do. But I just want to encourage you to come with an open heart, open mind, wipe the slate clean, and just hear what the Lord has to say. I want to let you know, however, when we're talking about the topic of a blessed life um, and generosity, that it really begins with the heart. And, and I think there's a mistake a lot of times with people really try and teach this from the standpoint, the standpoint of some external obligation as opposed to some internal delight. And it really is, when you understand the principle and the dynamic behind it, it really is an internal delight to be a person of generosity. And I think then everything flows out of that. Again, when you feel like you're forced into something or you're guilted into something or you're trying to elicit some kind of response, then that makes it difficult for us to really engage and understand that God's not really after your money, he's after your heart. And so um, that's where I want to talk to you about last week, this week, next week, and the following week. We're going to take four weeks in this whole series. And I want to start here um, in this time of generosity because I want to let you know that there's some opportunities coming up as there are throughout the course of the year, the ebb and flow of the year, the calendar and church life. But I don't want you to respond to them out of some compulsion or some kind of need. I really want you to respond out of just a generous heart and life. Um, As you know, coming up, you saw the Fall Fest is coming. We'll have 3,000 people on campus. We get to serve and love on and create positive environments, share the life of Jesus. In November, we'll have 500 boxes that we'll give of two weeks worth of groceries to 500 families. It'd be a blessing. Then Thanksgiving Day, we'll have 3,000 people on campus having a meal. Then in December, our Christmas gift program through our Family Life Center, over 2,000 kids will get gifts. And then at the end of the month, then we'll, we'll provide over 200 kids in in Mexico, Christmas in the Colonia. And so I just want you to know that just open your heart up and just listen to the word of God and be a pre-decided person of generosity. Now, that, that'll be clear in here in a minute, but that's really my point, being a pre-decided person of generosity. It's really where I'm going to come from today. And so let's take a look, starting at 1 Timothy 6. Here we go. It says this in verse 17, command those, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a church. He's telling the pastor to make sure that you encourage your congregation in this. Command those who are rich in this present world, to which we would say, well, that just excludes me. I'm not rich. I'm good. To which I would say, understand, when God wrote the Bible, he wrote it to be all-encompassing and timeless. So in the context of the writing, he's speaking to everybody in today's world, and in America especially, I think we need to understand that we are blessed. We're blessed to live in the greatest country on the planet, number one, amen, thank God, God bless America, and no matter what you think of the political climate or whatever, we are blessed. 
And if you are even the poorest of the poor here in America, you're among the richest in the world. Again, understand the context of the passage of Scripture. In fact, I did a little research. Let me just share a few things with you. If you earned, your household earned last year $25,000 or more, but if you earned $25,000 or more last year, you're among the top 10% of the world's wealthiest. 10%. If you have a car, if you own a car, you're among the top 7% wealthy in the world. If you have a household income of 50000 or more, you're in the top 1% of wealthy in the world. We are really blessed here in America. And I could give you all kinds of statistics. If you have a bed to sleep on, if you have roof over your head, if you have food in your fridge, if you have a dollar in your pocket. You know what I mean? We really are blessed in this country, no matter what you feel like your economic status is here. And understand the context of the scripture is being rich means you have enough to have your needs met and be a blessing to other people. And so he's speaking to us here. Just wanted to clarify that. So, hey, tell those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth because we are created to hope in something. Well, why not wealth? It makes sense to me. Because wealth is so uncertain, wealth is uncertain, but put your hope in God because God changes not. He is the sure thing. He is the certain thing in life. That is where our hope is to lie because God richly provides us with everything. Say everything. Everything for our enjoyment. Say enjoyment. I love that because I like to have fun. And this doesn't mean by any means, and it's taught differently, that you should be poor so other people can have stuff. You shouldn't so others can't. You don't have to live in a cardboard box so you can be a blessing to other people. That's not what God's saying here. What God really is saying is as long as you're blessing other people, I will bless you. You don't go without. I'm gonna go without so somebody else can live a better life. Not in God's economy. When you give and you're generous, you don't go without. God, in fact, the Bible says, we'll talk about, gives you more to be a blessing. If he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. And it just makes sense. We would operate this way because if we were looking down from heaven and seeing a lost and hurting humanity that was poor and, and, and didn't have anything to eat or clothe or whatever that is, whatever the need might be, and then we had resources, we would give it to the people helping people. We wouldn't operate any different. And so God's saying that, and he talks about this in verse 18. He says, then command them to do good. We're not just talking about money, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to help people, to help impact somebody's life, and to be generous and willing. Say willing. Hold on to that word. That's going to be kind of our theme, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, and so they may take hold of life that truly is life. So it's a win-win for God. You're setting yourself up for your eternity, and you're also positioning yourself for a life that is really life as God intended. So it's a win-win into your forever and into your now, but you need to be willing to share. In other words, I don't have to do it, I want to do it. And so Paul tells Timothy, you need to appeal to the congregation, not just to the need, but to the desire behind it. And I think that's where we fall short at times. We neglect the desire behind it. We focus on some external obligation instead of the motivation or the internal delight and so I, you know, I, my, my dad became the pastor of Tree of Life Church, planted the church when I was in eighth grade. Before that, we were just kind of casual church growers, uh, growers, <laughs> church goers, and I don't know that we actually helped grow anything for a while there, but, and then, you know, we got, my dad really rededicated, got his life turned on with God, got us in church, and so I kind of grew up in church, eighth grade starting here. I've been a PK since eighth grade, and now I have PKs, right? So anyway, so I, I, all I know is really church, to be honest with you. And so I love that testimonial from our 16-year-old student because, you know, he's grown up in church, but there was a point in time where he had to understand it for himself. 
But my parents always taught me the principles in God's word. And there was a time that I didn't really understand them, and then there was a time that I did. But here's what, I, here's what we have to know if we don't have the right view or the right filter that church, most of us grow up in a church where we just feel obligated to something. We feel we go to church because we feel there's a moral or religious obligation. We go, hey, some of us start going to church just because we didn't want to go to hell. Right? I mean, just to be quite honest, but what's the other option? I'm, I'm going to church. Some of us go to church, it's like hell. It's just that's the way it kind of is a little bit. And really trade a whole lot there. But anyway, so we're in this, in this environment of whatever, and we're kind of taught and raised in a way that it's an obligation to attend. It's an obligation to serve. It's an obligation to pray. It's an obligation to give. It's an obligation to read God's word. My goodness, we get tired of all that. I know why people fall away from church and they don't want to participate in these things. It's the wrong motivation. It's an internal delight to do those things. And that's God's intent because God is more interested in your heart than anything else. Uh, let me just say it this way, illustrate this way. As, I have, as you know, I have 18 and 19 year old daughters and as a parent, things change over time, 18, 19. I parent different than I did when they were littler, but my, my, my heart's still the same. I still, wanna, I still wanna convey the same thing to them and they're getting older and you know, I don't know how much longer they'll, they'll be with me. I hope, I hope for a while. Well, at least this week, I hope for a while. And so, <laughs> and you know, but you, you go through this time and it's like, I'm trying to convey these things to my kids. That, and I, I know my time's shorter and shorter. I'm like, Jess and I are like, what do we want our kids to know before they leave? I mean, we have time left and stuff. First of all, the joy of our heart would be for our kids to love God, you know, more than anything else. Just love God, right? But the other thing, the, real, the reality of is in doing that, if our kids leave, and I just had a discussion with my daughters the other day, before you leave, if you get one thing, two things from this home that you take with you, number one, have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, your best friend, and number two, tithe. Because those two things in life will help you through life no matter where you are. The Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, and then positioning yourself under the blessings of God no matter what. In fact, the conversation goes even further now, and as boys come on the scene and whatever, come and go or whatever that looks like into the future, it's like it's maybe things sometime at some point will settle down somewhere. It's like, I want that for them. So don't give your heart, your life to somebody that doesn't understand that either. Why? Because really that's the key to our life, a blessed life. And that's why the enemy fights so hard to keep us off track from that or distract us from it or people in my profession abuse it, therefore, or whatever that looks like. So again, wipe the slate clean today and let's look at what it means to give from an internal delight as opposed to an external obligation, as I believe God always intended. And so we want the desire behind it and that's what Timothy's telling. There's a willingness there that needs to happen. But let's not continue to live out of this ob obligation that we feel or whatever. So Philippians 2.13 says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God who works to both will and to do for his good pleasure. Another translation says to be willing and able. Another translation says the desire and the ability. He wants to give you the desire and to show you how. I love that about God. How awesome is God? He wants to give you the desire or willingness and the ability. Oh, if I could parent that way, <laughs> right? I give my kids the ability, but man, the willingness just never seems to be there sometimes, right? If we could give that, but know this, that God creates us with a willingness for generosity because we're made in his image, and we have to fight, really work to put it down or squash it. We get off track because we get caught up in other things. We get into the external things instead of the internal things. But internally, God has created this willingness or desire. And so we're going to talk about being willing and able today. We're going to look at that, not to a need or to guilt or an obligation, but we're going to look at the why. And what's important to God is not just the fact that you did it, but that you did it with the right heart. 
And so in our starting point today, I want to take a look at the largest offering ever given in the history of man, honestly. Not just biblical history, because as people study, historians and scholars will say, it is the single largest recorded gift or offering ever, biblically and then just historically. And it was King David, as they, the children of Israel were traveling the, the wilderness, they had portable church. They had you know church in a box. They'd go around, they'd set up the tabernacle for a while, and as God led them, they'd tear it down, box it back up, and they'd go back on their journey, set it up somewhere. And then God said to build the temple. And so David, as the king of that day, his son Solomon was actually going to be the one building it. But David was led to lead by example to the people in taking up the first offering. He wasn't going to ask them to do anything as much as he was going to model something for them. He wanted them not just to listen to what he's saying, but to watch what he was doing. In other words, he wanted them to see the joy of giving so they would catch the heart and the spirit of it. I believe that's what God, is, that what God wants to do to you and I, as want us not to just fulfill some kind of obligation, but we want to engage with the spirit behind it, and then everything else flows out of that. So in Chronicles, we see the story in First Chronicles 29, and David just showed them the joy of what he did, hoping they'd catch his spirit of it. So let's take a look in verse 3, First Chronicles 29, 3. He says, moreover, because, David speaking, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. If David was alive today and had a Twitter account, he would say, hashtag, I love my church, <laughs> what David's saying. Let me explain that to you in modern day terms. I have my, I've set my affection, or I love my church, or on the house of God. I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. In other words, he prepared an offering to give, and then he went beyond that. He just got so excited about it. It says he gave over and above what he had prepared or decided, my own special treasure of gold and silver, the gold for gold things, the silver for silver things, and all and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. So then he says, after he's already doing this, then he says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the work? Or then he says, hey, who wants to get in on some of this? He doesn't tell them what to give or anything. He sets the example. He goes, you know what? I was prepared to give this, but man, I got so excited about it. I went above that. Hey, who wants in on some of this? And the people are watching that, and they're catching the heart behind the offering David's bringing. Listen, who, who wants to give it says, verse six, then the leaders of the father's house, all the leaders, people were watching him, the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, captains of thousands, of hundreds, and with the officers over the king's work, offered what? Willingly speaking to the internal delight. They saw how much David loved it and how excited he was about it. They said, I went in on some of that. Then the leadership then responded as David said, hey, you want a piece of this or you want to get on some of this? It's awesome. And so then they willingly from their heart did. It says they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 talents, 10,000, all this and that, two partridges in a pear tree, all everything right there, right? So, and whoever, verse eight, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house into this guy verse 9 then the people rejoiced man they had such a good time they threw a party for they had you know when you do like a building campaign or something like that there's not always a party following the offering I'm just saying but right here they had a huge party for they had offered what willingly the people then jumped in because with a loyal heart they had offered what to the Lord and King David also rejoiced greatly biggest offering in recorded history of mankind, and look at the heart behind it. David said, I'd prepared something, but man, I got so excited. I went above what I prepared. And then he said, hey, you guys, you want some of this? And they all said, oh man, we want to get in on that. Then the leadership did it, and then the people did it, and then they celebrated it. God did amazing things. We're not talking about an external obligation, but an internal delight. That's the spirit we believe in. 
We want to appeal to the, I can't believe we get to do this. I can't believe we get to be a part. Can you imagine? I can't believe we get to be a part of what, what you're a part of doing that, King David, the people. I can't believe we get to get on, on that. I can't believe we get to be a part of what God's doing and what God's building and what God's creating. It should be the highest joy of our life. Let's take a look in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says this. 2 Corinthians, uh, oh, yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, I've skipped the scripture. Thank you. Let's go back, 17. Thank you for bringing that up. Let me finish out that story real quick. As for me, David says, in the uprightness of my heart, my heart's right, I have what? Willingly, with the right motivation, internal delight, offered all these things, and now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer what? Willingly. Man, that is the heart of this whole thing. And that's what we want to convey to you, and that's what we want to operate and work out. Now let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 8.12. Here it says, for if the willingness is there, if your heart's right, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So in other words, God's looking at your heart. Now understand this, God's not looking at a controlled behavior or a forced behavior. He's looking at your heart. Again, with my kids, I want my kids to have my heart. We have rules and we have boundaries and they know if you violate this, there's consequences to that. But I want my kids to do the right thing just because they love dad, not because they fear consequences. Because when they're out of my house one day, whenever that is, and they're making decisions and dad's consequences are no longer in place, I want them to do the right thing because they love to do the right thing. And so that's how we operate with God. It's not this forced behavior, this external obligation that we're hammered with all the time and people hammer all the time, abuse of all that all the time. And that's a big turnoff. It is an internal delight. It is a matter of our heart. God's not as interested in your money as he is in your heart. He's tied the two things together. We'll talk in the upcoming weeks about that. But God wants your heart. And so we have to remind ourselves, and if we're talking about some kind of internal delight, we, have to re- we need to remind ourselves of the why behind the commitment we make and to do what we do. We need to remind ourselves of the why, and it's very important because you know as well as I know that when people lose their why, they lose their way. Happens all the time. Why'd you even start working for that place, that, that job? Why'd you take that job in the first place? Somehow along the way, you've lost your why. A really great example of this is why'd you marry him or her in the first place? Can I tell you, we all need to go back and remind ourselves of the why at times, because it's not always easy. Why'd you say yes in the first place? Because Jessamy was relentless. She wouldn't let up. She wouldn't leave me alone. I finally said yes. Man, goodness, jeez. But it's like that. We got to remind ourselves of the why, or we lose, obviously you know that's not true, uh, of the why, it's the reverse. But you gotta remind ourselves of the why, because that's, that's the important thing, or we will lose our way. So, and here's the thing about the why, the why for you may be different for me. And probably there's a lot of things that are similar, we have similar whys, there's probably different ones, I'll list some here, I'll show you in just a moment, you would list some other ones, you'd say yeah, some of those, some of those, I, I get that, the, the whys are your whys. I'm gonna give you some of my whys, and then you write them down and you write down some of your whys. But here's the thing about the why. They may, some may be the same as others, but they also may be different. But you need to find out your why and then remind yourself of them. It's important, that willing part. I'll make you some reasons from why I see obedience. Number one, I put this first and I know the pushback immediately is like, well, you just said this is not an obligation. And let me, let me say it this way. I don't feel obligated to obey as much as I love to obey God. 
I don't feel as obligated to obey God as much as I love to obey God. I remember, again, going up back to the story, growing up in church, and, and I was trying to learn things for myself. And my dad did such a, such a great job, my mom modeling things and, and saying, son, you need to tithe, and son, you need to pray. And can I tell you, there's just a point in time, just because I love God and wanted to serve God, it was like, okay, I need to tithe. Okay, how much? I need to serve. Okay, where's the biggest need? Okay, you need to worship God? Okay, yeah. Let's do that. Need to raise my hands? How high? Are you getting the picture? I need, I, so I think sometimes we, we want to then discuss this with God. I never, I didn't grow up, maybe some of you did differently, but I didn't grow up asking, well, when I make more money, then I'll tithe. Because here's what I thought, if God said it, that's good enough for me. That's what I was taught. And if God said then tithe, okay, absolutely, I'm going to tithe every time. How much is too much? How much is not? Whatever that is. I wasn't talking about then, well, when I get a better job. I love the 16-year-old story. It doesn't matter. And he hardly make anything minimum wage, but man, he learned to tithe. And I didn't even know all there was about it. Okay, I'll understand all this one day, but okay. Oh, God wants me to pray? Okay, I'll pray. Is it better to pray in the morning or at night? Was that, oh, God wants me to read the word every day? Okay, where do I start? The book of John? Genesis? Okay. God wants me to lay hands on the sick? Okay, I don't heal anybody, but okay, if God says lay hands on the sick. Come on, church, can I tell you? It's better to obey God, just okay, and not even have to understand it. Because we love him. Back to the story about my kids and my dad. I, can I tell you that? And my mom's here, she, she can stand and give testimony. Don't do it, mom, but um, I was the best, best out of three of us, right, mom? I was the best out of three of us. And so uh, I was a good kid. And so I did good, I didn't get into trouble, Jeff did, and Amy did, and all that kind of stuff, and um, they were horrible, but, um, I, so, but listen, for me, anyways, it wasn't because of my dad's rules, and I've shared this story before, my dad was a Vietnam vet, two combat tours, and I remember one day, he said, son, I learned 17 ways to kill a man with my bare hands in Vietnam, I'm like, yes, sir, sorry, sir, what would you like me to do? But it was like, I just, I love my dad, I didn't want to disappoint my dad, it wasn't as, come on, it wasn't as much as I feared the consequences of not doing those things. It's like, if dad said to do it, yeah, absolutely. And I think, oh, if we could see our heavenly father, how much more? Absolutely. God, if you say that, I don't understand it all. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But man, if you say that in your word, okay, I'm in. Sign me up. And I think that we miss that. You know what happens? It's refreshing when people first get saved and it's all new to them and you talk to them about the Holy Spirit, you talk to them about tithing, you talk to them about praying, you talk about reading the word and they're all in. They don't understand it, but like, okay, if it's in there, yeah, absolutely. And then what happens over time? Church. Church. And that external obligation begins to be forced on them and people are like, but yeah, but you know, maybe you don't have enough money right now or you should do that. And remember before it was like, okay, God, I'm just glad you saved me. If you say it, okay, can I tell you, I want to be a person that says yes to God and not have to question or worry about it because it says so in his word. I want to be a church that says no matter what the culture says, no matter what the politics say, no matter what the world says, I'm going to believe the word of God and I'm going to say yes until the end to the word of God and what he says. Okay. If it's there, okay, absolutely. Tithe, okay. Give, okay. Serve, okay. Pray, okay. Raise my hands and worship, okay. I'm in. It's my heart. We want to make sure that we have that heart towards God because the one I've surrendered my life to told me to. I remind myself of that because the one I've surrendered my life to told me to. So it's in the Bible? Okay. I'm going to spend my life trying to. Live the word of God. I wrote this down. I'm not going to spend my life trying to change God's word to fit my life. I'm going to spend my life trying to change my life to fit God's word. So, and we're going to be a church. I don't care if it's a different time, if it's a different world, if it's a different culture. I don't care if it's politically correct. I'm following God's word to the end.
Another thing I remind myself of, joy. It's a joy. It really is a joy to give. The best example of this is my wife. She is so generous, so many ways. She's like, it's like a fun thing to her. She's like trying to, her mind always works on how to be generous and find ways, creative, clever ways to do it. And I love it because it spills over to the rest of the family. We find ways as a family to do that. It really, truly is more blessed to give than to receive. It's fun. It's a joy. We experience that. I like the way I feel about myself when I bless somebody. I like the way my family feels about ourselves when we bless somebody. I love it. And I want you to find the joy of what we can do together. I don't want to be a church that says, oh, fall fest? Another bag of candy? I don't want to be the church that says, well, I got to dress up and come up. Can I tell you, my family and I, we love dressing up, right? We love dressing up. Take my word for it. We love it. We love being a part of what's going on here. 3,000 people come on this campus. It's fun to serve them. It's awesome to see families and kids come to a safe environment. I don't want to be the church that says, oh, 500 boxes? Are you kidding? How much is that going to cost me? 500 boxes? I don't have time to come up here and put those together and put them in a car. I don't want to be the church that says 3,000 people on our campus. I hope they clean this place up. I hope they got enough workers to make it happen. Come on. I want to be a church that says, man, it's the joy of our life to serve people. It's the joy of our life to be a blessing because it changes lives. It's so fun. I want to be a church that says, when's the next time? we got to wait a whole other year. Are you kidding me? Can we find something else to do in, the, in between? It's a joy. It's fun. It's not an external obligation. It's an internal delight to do what we get to do. How much fun is that? Let me give you another one. Covenant. Covenant. I give. I remind myself because I'm in a covenant. Listen, I'm not just in a covenant with God. I am. A divine covenant. Thank God for all of us. Jesus came, gave his life so we could enter into a covenant. He exchanged everything he was for everything we were. We got the good end of the deal on that one. I'm also in a covenant with my wife. We're in a covenant marriage. I'm not my own. She's not her own. We're each other's. But listen, I give because I'm in a covenant with God, with my wife. I give because I'm in a covenant with you. I'm in a covenant with you. I'm committed to you, the people of Tree of Life Church. Listen, every single day, I get phone calls, emails. I'm out and about. I hear things, people talking to people about this opportunity and this missionary and this meeting. And I, I love that. I love praying. I love believing God for all those people. But, but I cannot support all those things. I can't say yes to all those things. I can't say yes to every phone call, every email, every request. But I can say yes to Tree of Life. And I say yes to Tree of Life, and I'm in a covenant with all of you, and my family and I, we are all in. I say yes to what happens here. Before Tree moved here, before Tree moved to this location, we were on Luke 337 from 1987 to 2005. And my wife and I, at that time, before we moved out to this campus, a huge project, 54 acres on I-35, we were in a building campaign, and we, we prayed, and we said, God, what would you have us do? And we gave... As, can I just, and I'm not saying this, I'm saying this to illustrate the covenant, not who we are. We gave everything we had. We went through our long-term savings, our short-term savings. We gave the biggest gift we had, and then we pledged to do beyond that. And we did that. It was a stretch. It was a faith thing. But we locked arms with people in a covenant. We said, we're in a covenant with you, and we locked arms with people. And we said, we're coming together as a family in covenant. And how many people were there before we moved out to this campus? How many were at the Loop campus? Look at the hands round about here. Hey, come on. We were in covenant. Didn't we lock arms together? And look what God did. Look what God did. 
None of us ever thought this would be... Are you kidding? We're on Luke 337 back in 2005 or 2004. And who ever thought? But we were in a covenant together with each other. So we locked arms as family. We gave ourselves to what God was doing. And look, and most of you, most of the hands did not go up. Most of you are a result of the covenant that we had. And then into our future, you here today, if you lock arms with us in generosity, think about what God can do in our tomorrows as we come together as a family. Because we're in covenant together. We're in covenant with God and we're in covenant with each other. So my wife and I, that was the biggest we'd ever given. That was a stretch for us. And listen, God bless us as he does. Fast forward to back to a few years ago when we needed to build the multi-purpose building. We have a few other things we still need to build. We did a building campaign for a short time. It began and then it ended and many of you participated, my wife and I, in that moment because God blesses as he does because of our willingness to do that. Um, we made, a, we made a, a building pledge at that time and our rule in our house is we pray separately about the amount to give. Then we come together and whoever has the higher amount, that's what we go for. And can I tell you, I was really sweating that one because after the fact, because the number she revealed was twice as high as mine. And I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't start that rule yet. <laughs> but no, then we went all into that. It was the biggest stretch that we'd never, we couldn't even imagine. And somehow over three years, God did amazing things. Fast forward to just a few months ago, my wife and I, eight years ago, bought a foreclosed house, a house that was foreclosed on. We did a lot of work to fix it up, and then we were blessed in that home, and it, we had great margin there and all that, and all of a sudden, we had the, the market was great, and so we felt it was time to move to another home or downsizing, and all of a sudden, we sold that home, and little did we know, we had no idea the blessing that would come from that, and the very first check, the very first check immediately after closing, the very first check we wrote was to the church. Why? Because we are in a covenant, and so it was the biggest tithe check we've ever written in our life. We hope it's one of many. And it was almost the amount of what we had pledged several years ago. You see what God does. He's faithful and he blesses you. Why? Because you're in a covenant. We are all in with you. We're all in with God and we're all in with all of you. We're not up here saying do this and do that. We are hoping to be like David and lead by example. The joy of our life was to write the biggest tithe check we ever could imagine. And believe me, there's a lot of things that I thought ran through my mind. She didn't, but I thought, well, we can do this. I need my car's a 2007. That would buy me a new vehicle. You know, God wants me to drive in a nice car, right? All, the, all those things or whatever. All those things, okay? I had my moment. I had my moment. But I'm in a covenant with God and with you. Listen, Tree Life, we're all in. As long as God has us here, we're all in. Everything we are, everything we have, our, my wife, myself, my family, we are all in. We are in a covenant with you. One of the reasons why we give is because we love doing church with the people of Tree of Life. We love it. Vision. I remind myself because I give because I really believe in the vision of this church. I really believe we're doing something. I believe it's working. I believe we're making a difference. I believe that this community is blessed. This area is blessed because of the generosity of this church. I believe we're making a difference in Mexico. I believe we're making a difference in India. I believe we'll make a difference on the 31st. I believe we'll make a difference at Thanksgiving. I believe in the mission and vision of this church. I, have, I love that a portion of what I give impacts people's lives around the world. I believe that what we do connects families to the life, love, and power of Jesus. I believe what we do helps families in a blended family married for life class this morning. I believe what we do makes a difference. I love the vision. It's not hard for me to give my time and my resources because I believe in the vision of this church. I believe... I give, I remind myself because really it's a blessing and that's funny to say that one because that one can be real squirrely, it can be skewed a little bit. 
But understand this, we don't give to get, but God's promises we give, we get. No matter what. And you can say, no, God, I don't do it. I didn't do it for that reason. God doesn't matter. He's going to bless you. It's what he does. It's a blessing to give. It's a blessing for my family. I just described a journey and, and buildings and, and transitions and stuff and how God has blessed us. But God says in Malachi 3, when I'm faithful and I give my tithe to the house of the Lord, that he'll open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing I cannot contain, and he'll rebuke the devourer for my sake. God's word is clear that every time I give, he wants to position us for God, for his blessing and protection. Every time I give, I position myself for God's blessing and protection. Very clear in the word. We'll talk more about that next week. I believe God's word is true. How many believe God's word is true? Amen. I don't, I don't just give for that reason, but it is a result of that. Deuteronomy 15.10, write it down. It's not your notes. Give generously without a grudging heart, attitude of the heart, internal delight. Then the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That's God's word. God's word is true. I give, I remind myself, I give to be an example. I want to be an example. I just described David. I want to be an example to you. I don't want to be hypocritical in it. I want to be an example to my kids. I want my kids to leave with a generous spirit when they leave my house. I want them to leave knowing, again, that the most important things, personal relationship to the Holy Spirit, and be a giver, be generous. God will always take care of you, no matter what job you have, where you are. And then also, I think I even said this, and whoever that man is may be at that time, then I believe the same thing. I want my daughters to be in a generous household. I want them to be that way. Try to model that for them. I believe as a church, we model generosity. I believe as a church, we can inspire and motivate other churches and other organizations through our generosity. I believe people come on board and participate with us because of that. Just a few weeks ago in September, we had the opportunity, the honor of hosting a significant church network regional conference. We had it here at Tree of Life. The director called me and said, can you have it? I said, absolutely. Yes, sir. We had 15 churches represented over 100, and, 100 plus staff members here at the church. Your team did amazingly. But listen, you know what we did? We created an environment of generosity where we didn't ask anybody to pay for the food. We, didn't, we provided lunch. We didn't ask anybody to pay for the materials. We did giveaway stuff. We didn't ask them to pay for anything. We wanted to just bless them. In fact, I made the team, you can ask the team, I made the team go through every nook and cranny around here and find things, good things that are not being used. And if they're not being used, put them out there on the table for those churches to be blessed by them. And we told all the churches, you'll find curriculum, you'll find props, you'll find equipment, all this good stuff here. And if you can use it, we're not using it. But if you can use it, take it and use it and use it to be a blessing to your people and use it to be a blessing to your kingdom. And my hope and my heart is that we're setting an example of generosity, that churches will be generous with each other and trade things and share things. And I'm not saying, oh, look at you. Oh, good thing. I'm saying we are generous. I remind myself I give because I want to be an example of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. I, I, can I just say, parents, and just from a parent's standpoint, you want your kids to do better than you financially. It's not about their college degree per se. It's not about their, all this other stuff. Really, can I tell you, the first key is about their tithing and their giving. You want your kids to exceed and excel and not struggle in life. If you struggle in life, you know what you need to do? Teach them how to tithe. You know how you do that? Tithing. Modeling it. You can't have go to church kids and be a stay-at-home parent. You can't have tithing and generosity kids and not do that. I was thinking of the word I would use for that and not do that. It just doesn't work that way. Be an example. I want to give an example to this church. Okay, reminder to give. Last one, interesting one. Give me a moment to explain it. How, the willingness is there. The reasons why for me is devotion. 
I wrote devotion. My personal devotion with Jesus himself. I love him. I love him. I think of this when people pass away. We've had some just close people go on to be with the Lord, graduate to heaven recently, just a few days ago. Uh, one that had been here many years. And what a great life and legacy she lived. And I think about that, what it must have looked like when she was there and the, the pearly gates open. I don't know what that looks like. Did the gates just open up and right, all the music of heaven? Or do you walk out of this long, dark tunnel and all of a sudden there's the light and Jesus is standing there? Do you open the door and there's Jesus saying, come on. I, I don't know what that looks like. This really came something, it came, became something for me when, I, when my dad passed away over 22 years ago. Just a great man, great pastor, great dad. Did so much good, still good being done from what he did. I wondered what that reunion was like. I wondered what it was like when he first face-to-face with Jesus, this lady. A life and legacy is great. I wondered what that first encounter was like. I wonder what that would be like for me. I wonder what that would be like for you. I don't know the situation that presents itself if you walk around a corner and there he is. And, and will you run to him and cry or will you say all these things? And I, I love you and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of think that he'll be the first one to speak because we probably won't be able to at that moment. And I just wonder... Out of devotion to him, what will he say? All these things I want to say to him, will he say, Don, good job. I gave you a great church. I gave you 54 acres on I-35 on one of the biggest, busiest stretches of the highway. I gave you a great facilities, a great campus that you can easily have 3,000 people at a, at a fall fest opportunity that you can distribute food to hundreds and hundreds of people. I gave you great people to do it with. I gave you great praise and worship, great gifts. I gave you great people and great heart. I gave you incredible good looks. I gave you all these things and stuff like that. Did I say something was funny? Okay, anyways, and all, all these things. I gave you all these things on. And, and, and just, good job, you did something with it. Good job. out of devotion to him. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So I just love Jesus. I remind myself when I don't want to give. And can I tell you, there's times I don't want to give. And put my other needs before the things. There, there are, absolutely. I'm human just like you are. But I remind myself, I just love Jesus. Thank you. What is the willingness? What are the reasons why for you? What does that look like? And so there's the reasons why it said willing and able, and what does that look like then? So let's talk about the able for just a few moments as we get ready to close. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what he has. What's this word? Decided. One more time. Decided. Hold on to that. Each of you will give what he has decided in your heart to give. In other words, Predecided. You need to be a predecider. Now listen, not reluctantly like a Scrooge. I don't believe we have that here. Or under compulsion because we gave a good video, because we, we presented a need and it was heartwarming and touching. Not because of that. Because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to give because of internal delight, not external obligation. But listen, the key to that is predeciding to be a giver. What you've already decided. That means before the video was shown. That means before the event was talked about. That means before the need was shared. You had already decided you were going to be generous. And then you decide what that looks like. Because then it goes on to say in verse 11. Let's look at this. It says you. Say you. Who's that speaking about? Pre-deciders. Go back to the previous scriptures. Then pre-deciders will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in people coming to know God. 
So God's up there with all kinds of resources. He's looking at a lost and hurting humanity, and he so desperately wants to reach them. And he's saying, I got all this to reach them. And he's going to look at who to give it to. Who would you give it to? And this Bible says right here that he's going to give it to the pre-deciders, those who already decided before what they were going to do with it. And then he gives that there so they can be a blessing and people will come to the knowledge of God. Pre-decider. Already made up your mind. Listen, you know why that's important? Because here's what will happen. If not, then you'll wait for the video. You'll wait for the need to be presented in the right way. And here's what will happen. And this may seem comical, but there's just truth in this. Then on Mission Sunday, you might sit there and might say, well, I hope they got a good video today because I just don't really feel like giving. I hope that video team did a good job. I hope they find that right song, that little background thing that makes me emotional. I hope that they got that picture of that little girl over there. I hope they got... Come on, that's reality, people. But that's not how we give. That's not why we give. And don't give that way. Be a pre-decided giver. And then so when opportunities are presented, then you've already decided, and you'll just decide what that looks like in your response to God, but your heart is already there. That's what God says, who I'm going to resource. So that means that, number one, that we need to be intentional with our giving, intentional giving. So you can pray and you talk to your family and plan what you'll do because we're rich by the world standards. And so we pre-decide above our tithe. And so the next question is, well, then how much? Okay, I, that makes sense to me. Then how much? And what are we talking about here? Well, Mark 12 gives us insight to that. Mark 12, 41 through 44 says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Isn't that great? Hey, wouldn't that be like if Jesus was here and all of a sudden we put a table with a basket on it and then we put a chair right there and Jesus sat right down there and said, okay, it's offering time. Whoa, time out. Some of us feel that way already with the people around about, hey, don't get because of that. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there? His facial expressions would be, I don't know if he was just stoic or what. And like, you know, people giving, give more, honey, give more. Jesus is right there. He's watching, give more, give more. And Jesus knows and he'd be like, seriously, right? Or good job, you know, whatever. But imagine that scenario. Jesus is there and he's watching and all of a sudden offerings are put in and, and, watch, uh, and, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, a sixteenth of a day's wage, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, he said, come here, come here, come here. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow, widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. To which they said, no. Have you been watching? You're sitting right next to the basket. Look at the amounts of money. Look at that check with all those zeros on it. Are you serious? Look at that big wad of cash that guy threw in there. Oh, come on, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, they all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. You know what that tells me? Percentage giving matters to God. Percentage giving. See, God wasn't looking at the zeros. He wasn't looking at the amount. He was looking at the amount into relation to her income. The amount in relation to her income. He was looking at the amount in relation to her income, not somebody else's. In relation to her income, she put in more. In relation to her income, she put in more. So that means you need to know this. Percentage giving matters to God. The dollar amount may not as much as the percentage does. See, we don't give what others give. It's in relation to our percentage. And here's the sad truth in America. And this is just a tragedy. As people's wealth increases, their percentage decreases. It's statistically proven that the wealthier people get, the less generous they get. 
Statistically speaking, the best givers in America are the ones with the less, the least with less. It's not right. If you have more, you don't do less. You do more. Percentage matters to God. He's looking at that, not the amount. He looks at the amount as it relates to what you have. So we need to give intentionally and understand percentage getting matters to God. We'll talk next week about that one. And let me give you this last one. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says this. If anyone builds, I want you to really get this. If anyone builds on this foundation, this is talking about what happens in eternity, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work or their giving will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, judgment day, on the, before the throne, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work or giving. If what has been built survives the fire or the test of eternity, the builder will receive a reward. A reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved. Understand what was happening here. This was saying, not all giving is the same. There's giving that impacts eternity, and there's giving that doesn't. And what is God about? He's about reaching people for heaven. Make no mistake about it. He's about reaching people for eternity. So the last point is this, eternal giving matters. Your giving for eternal things matters because it's all gonna be stacked up one day, and here's what I know. We'll all be surprised at the good things that we gave to that'll be burned up in the fire. But the things that we gave towards that had eternity attached to it will remain. So we need to decide not only intentionally be pre-deciders in our giving, we need to understand that percentage matters, but we need to be mindful of eternal giving because not everything we give to has eternity attached to it. And let me just say this, social justice is good, but social justice without spiritual justice really doesn't help. Because if someone gets a blessing in some capacity and still goes to hell, So what do we do then? So we give people food and Jesus. We give people clothes and Jesus. We give them candy and a game and Jesus. We give them a box of food for two weeks and Jesus. We build in in India for Jesus. We do in Mexico for Jesus. We do here for Jesus. We pay rent and Jesus. We help with a light bill and and Jesus. Why? Because eternity matters. Because there's some people that have received some good things that are still going to hell and that's a tragedy. That's why, and you're going to say, well, you're saying this because you're a pastor. No, filter it however you want. But that's why that a local church on mission is your best investment. Because that is our purpose. Eternity is our purpose. Reaching people for Jesus is our purpose. And when you invest and sow and give here, then you're investing in people's eternity. And so when that day, capital D, comes for you, those things, will be, those things will remain while the rest is burned up. Eternal giving matters. Listen, it's an eternal delight to give to see someone going to heaven. Can I tell you in first service, we had maybe half a dozen people raise their hand for our salvation. Great job, tree of life. Great job. Eternity has been changed for six people. Eternity has been changed for six people. That means when you stand in heaven, that there'll be something on your table that doesn't burn up in the fire because you've been a part of this. And whatever happens, can I tell you that's what I want to be a part of? God is a faithful God. It's not about an external obligation, but an internal delight. And there is no greater joy for man than to see another person's eternity changed, knowing that they're no longer going to hell, but they will go to heaven one day. That is the greatest joy of giving. We hope that you enjoyed this message. 
You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.